Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Wanfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? It's the Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast semi-final number one is coming up tonight. I'm excited, Murph. You're excited. Stop, stop thumping that table, Lord. I mean, it's it's all well and good that you're excited, but no need to take it out in the pool. I hit my laptop furniture. actually. I think I might have done a bit of damage, and I'm slightly oh, concerned. I got to be honest. With you. I'd imagine the players of Brazil and Germany are excited. You've probably been reading all the tributes, I'm sure, to Alfredo Di Stefano, who's died aged 88, one of the greatest footballers of all time. Almost incredibly, he never got to play one minute at a World Cup, despite rec- representing Argentina and Spain. I think Colombia even for a few games so it's a decent reminder of how big an achievement it is for a player just to be involved in one of the last four teams left in the tournament I'm sure they'll all be that philosophical about it as well mm. they'll definitely yeah. be thinking well it's just such a privilege moment, to be out here the moment the final whistle goes tonight I'm sure the losing Brazilian players if they do happen to lose the tournament well we got to know, play in one <laughs> you know Marcelo uh, you know obviously you're disappointed but Alfredo de Stefano never actually played a minute nor George Best so, something for you to think about. I there. did go back and read some of Sid Lowe's excellent book, Fear and Loathing in the Liga. A part where he's talking about, Alfredo De Stefano features heavily in it being talked about, but also Sid got to interview him. He, um, now, I think he was actually in the, at the office. He still had an office at the Bernabeu up until. Uh, up until he passed. And if you're looking for the kind of cuddly nostalgia that, say, the Werther's original granddad indulges mm, in, mm. you're not going to find it here in this chat between oh, okay. Sid and Di Stefano. He, he, there is some pleasant stuff, but Sid describes him as gloriously grumpy, which is a nice phrase. There's one quote here where, where he's talking about the rivalry with Barcelona and the abuse that he got from Barca fans. I imagine how long ago that was and how you would ho- think mm. that you've probably moved on. People are cowards, says uh, Di Stefano in this book a year or so ago. When there are loads of them, they shout and they talk and they throw bottles. When they're on their own, they're all timid and quiet. Off the pitch, they don't shout anymore. And if I see one, lo reviento, I'll smash him in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like it. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, mean, that's that's a lot of uh, anger to be carrying around. You know, I mean, I would just be inclined to just let it go. You know, you can't fight a full camp now, you know, Alfredo. Let's get over to Belo Horizonte. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Ken Ernie, are you excited? Yeah, pretty excited, Owen. Not very well, though. You, you don't sound very well. Hold on a second. What's up? Yeah, I've got a bit of a... 
sort of throat, chest infection. Oof. Rather unpleasant. Mm. I've got a stash of antibiotics as well. Right. In a city 450 kilometers away. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. So you're in Belo Horizonte, but your antibiotics are in Rio. <laughs> That's correct, uh, Kieran. That is correct. <laughs> Belo Horizonte, city of the beautiful horizon. At least I think that's what Blair Horizon means. Um, how's it for antibiotics, guess, though, more to the point? Rather more pertinently for your current state. How's the what? How's it for antibiotics, though? Uh, rather more pertinently for your uh, current state. Uh, how is it in terms of antibiotics? I don't know. It's probably got loads. Those are 24-hour pharmacies here. I mean, maybe they sell this kind of... I should maybe just go, check, go into a pharmacy and see what's available over the counter. A lot of stuff seems to be pretty, pretty available over the counter. <laughs> well, listen, you're at the Brazilian press conference, Ken. You're you're soldiering on over there. Thiago Silva and Luis Felipe Scolari were the men speaking. Did they impress you in person? Well, Luis Felipe Scolari. Who would have thought that the man at the centre of the uh, emotional maelstrom of Brazil was, in fact... Um, the calmest, most chilled out, um, most you know, most amiable man on the planet. That's pretty much the impression that Scolari seems to be trying to create with his uh, his appearance, laughing about this and that. Uh, you know, just giving the giving the impression of being totally relaxed, uh, as though the, the pressure wasn't getting him. Pressure. He doesn't even know what pressure is. Somebody asked him, um, "Oh." Big Phil, Philippao, because they call him, you know, they usually call him that. Philippao, when you came here in the helicopter, were you scared? And uh, Big Phil said, ha, ha, ha. He said, scared me? He said, uh, I was asleep. And then he said, ah, oh, he was scared. Uh, he said, I was asleep. I go here, was playing a game on his cell phone. But that guy over there, he says, like pointing at the media guy, who I think is the substitute media guy for Brazil, saying he's the original Brazilian media guy, punched the Chilean player and got banned. And this is <laughs> this is like their their uh, their second media media guy of the world. That guy, uh, he says, was uh, every time the helicopter shook, that guy would go ah, ah, ah. Uh, and everybody started laughing and Philip Howe smiled benignly, and I thought. You're lying, Phil Powell. There's no way that story could possibly be true. I mean, if part one, I was asleep, was true. <laughs> you tell part two and part three. You're fortunately trying to create an impression of being more relaxed than you really are. You know, that's, that's Phil Powell. Yeah, well, he's, uh, I like the fact that he's transmitting that sort of camera. What about Thiago Silva, who's suspended for this game? It was maybe odd that he still came out there. He's not letting the Neymar tackle go either. He was... Um, Still chewing on that particular bone. Oh. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I mean, I think that Thiago Silva, I mean, obviously this is what the, it was just an example, okay, the, the Brazilians are serious about this. They really do think there was something really unusual about what that guy did to Neymar. I didn't particularly think there was. But he said, I was a carrot challenge. I know how to mark guys. That just never happens. But Thiago Silva was... Uh, I mean, generally speaking, he was obviously very disappointed to be missing out in the game. He sort of, I mean, Philippe was saying, oh, I'm not going to tell you guys what the team is. Of course, I know the team. 
but of course I won't tell you. <laughs> and then they, then they were like, yeah, someone said, Tiago, do you know what the team is? Sort of, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'm too clever for you, Philbao. I'm going to ask this guy. Philbao said, he doesn't know what the team is. There's no point asking him. He has no idea. So then uh, that was fine. But Thiago Silva talked a hell of a lot about Dante for a guy who didn't know who his replacement was going to be. <laughs> he was going on and on about Dante and what an amazing player he was, how he'd battled for so long to get to where he was and how he would never let his country down. So uh, I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see Dante be the man who uh, who replaces Thiago Silva. Of course, a Bayern Munich player who knows quite a lot of the, the opposition tonight uh, reasonably well. And did Diego Silva mention the fact that his booking was one of the more stupid of the World Cup 2014? Well, they tried to they tried to get it over overruled, as you know. I mean, this, they, they appealed to FIFA to have it being overruled. And I have no idea on what basis it, really that could have happened. Um, so it wasn't. I mean, FIFA had confirmed. I mean, Thiago Silva, he just said, "I will. I won't be there, but my heart, my heart will be on the pitch, along with Neymar's heart." fighting with the others like it's really really overwrought kind of stuff you know but um yeah he his heart is going to be there and he's a big hearted lad simon hick has a theory can another big hearted lad small lad big hearted simon mm. uh he Not says the biggest brain in the world but he's got a big old heart in him well he's been putting the brain to use murphy he says that brazil are going to play well again he says the pressure's off we already know the gloves are off mm. so the handbrake will now be off too pressure gloves and handbrake um, Loves a good metaphor, son. <laughs> it does love a metaphor. It makes a metaphor. The pressure isn't off, though. I mean, there's still. Ah, they, the can get away. They, they can lose this match and not it not be the public shame that it would have been had they been knocked out by Chile, for example. I think it still will be. <laughs> you reckon? I think it. I think it absolutely would be. Yeah. I mean, they still they need to get to. Uh, they need to. They need to win. I mean, it's either win or shame. There's no easy get-outs. I mean, I think uh, maybe they will play well, but just because they'll have to. <laughs> maybe they'll maybe they'll have to come up with something a bit more creative than simply giving Neymar the ball, which has been Plan A all all along and, and Plan B. You know, if they don't give Neymar the ball, they kick it into the stand. So um, I don't know. Maybe with William, I think I I expect it will be William who comes in. Yeah. Although it could be Bernard. Bernard is a guy from. Uh, from this town, who Scolari likes, maybe he's, he'll think this might be the game to use Bernard. But I think it will be William, and maybe maybe they'll play like more of a team without the, without the great individual. Who knows? But that's what we're all waiting to see. Oh, well, Ken, uh, I mean, your voice is—it just sounds incredible today. It's it's husky. It's um, well, it's really phlegm, phlegm ridden largely. Yeah. But well, you sound like a nineteen uh, fifties jazz singer, Ken. So you should be thankful. What we really need to hear now, I think, is a nice smooth Brazilian accent. Who did you speak to over there? I spoke to uh, Maurizio Savarese, who um, is a correspondent over here for 442 magazine, among others. Maurizio, uh, I want to ask first of all uh, what you've made of the, the sort of the way that the Neymar injury has been analysed by a lot of foreign media as Brazil getting what it ultimately deserved. Well, I think the, the referee didn't put uh, his knee on the back of Neymar, and. Uh, uh, Many people have difficulty to understand how South American football works, and um, very often, uh, when we know we're going to lose the last 10 to 15 minutes, they can be absolutely crazy. And you can see how Zuniga was actually very 
on edge before that when he went on hook very roughly twice. Uh, a few moments before the, the, the incident with Neymar, Argentinian TV got pictures of him making threats to Neymar as well. And, um, I mean, of course, this is not crystal clear for everyone. There, there can be a debate about his intentions. But to my perspective, no one jumps with the knee, just bent forward like he did. And um, uh, I suppose people may think of it as an accident, may, may think of that as a mishappening. But um, I know defenders can be very rough in South America. And I think that although Zuniga doesn't have that record, in that particular match, he looked uh, more on edge than he usually was. It's interesting, uh, the thing that you bring up. I mean, I, I suppose I think of Diego Simeone in the Champions League final uh, storming off. Uh, I think of um, Pereira for Uruguay in the last minute against Costa Rica getting sent off. Well, why, why does this happen in South American football? Oh, it's a bit of a Libertadores Cup feeling. This is not Champions League football we have here. So, of course, there's Jogo Bonito for Brazil and there's style for Argentina. But when we have our clubs, and that has gradually been brought into, uh, into the national teams, uh, there is this sentiment that the teams have to be butch, they have to be macho. And you see that in the Libertadores Cup, and you see more and more of that in international football with our national teams. Uh, in my book, I just published uh, A to Zico, an alphabet of Brazilian football. We put letter A for Libertadores because the Libertadores, although it's a club competition in the continent it really resonates with the teams with the national teams when they're playing Copa America is not about Jogo Bonito at all it's basically very butch teams doing what Brazil and Colombia did in the previous match or what Brazil and Chile did and what Argentina and Brazil might be in the final You, talk, you mentioned Jogo Bonito several times there uh, but it seems to me that the team who most represent this butch it does, is actually Brazil in this World Cup they're the ones uh, they're the ones with the big muscles and the tattoos. They're the scariest looking team. And they're the ones that um, commit the most fouls, certainly. It's, it's not really Jogo Benito as we understand it. They, are, they commit the most fouls, but they are the most one, they're the team that gets the most fouls as well. So they're in both edges in that. I mean, Jogo Bonito was, was important for Brazil until 82, but the trauma of the defeat in, in Spain against Italy uh, really brought scars to Brazil that um, uh, resonate to this day. And uh, when Brazil really needed to win the World Cup to prove itself as a major far, force in world football in 94, uh, they did it not in style. They did it in, with some comprehension of the game, very physical, with loads of preparation. And that sounded to Brazilians like we needed to win the World Cup anyways. And if we had to win it not in a beautiful fashion, that's fair enough. And I can see that in this World Cup as well, because Brazil has the trauma of 1950. And to Brazilians, winning this World Cup is more important than doing it in style, just like in 94, because we were uh, out of the main uh, forces international football for so long. So if Brazil have to win this one uh, with a butch style, they will because, I mean, first they lost their key player. Two, this is not the greatest generation Brazil has ever had. And you can see that with players like Fred or players even like uh, Luis Gustavo. They are not among the best ones Brazil has ever had. And three, the national atmosphere is pretty much uh, taking Brazil into the final or even to the, or to the semifinals at least uh, with that sentiment that this, this time you have to make it. Do you think, though, that Brazilians actually care at all about the style in any way? Because, I mean, for instance, I remember Holland four years ago, and when they got to the final, it was with a particular type of play which people hadn't associated with Holland. And back in Holland, although there was lots of people celebrating, there was a lot of people complaining as well and saying that this was a disgrace and it was the wrong way to play and it was a shame for Dutch football. And I don't see anything like that. In Brazil, uh, in Brazil here? Not in this particular World Cup, but I can remember in 2010, although Brazil were a very strong team, uh, loads of people, and I can't 
kind of include myself in that, really were enthusiastic about the national team because the style was not as impressive as people thought. In 2006, when Brazil played in Germany, they were the favorites before the competition because we had the alleged uh, magical square. Yeah, but um, of course it wasn't, and people had huge expectations about that, and uh, it didn't happen. So people were frustrated by that. Uh, of course, it could have been different if Brazil had made to the final, but um, again, uh, when the competition begins, there's a lot of expectation on how well can Brazil do on the pitch with style, and this time, particularly in 94, for two different reasons. People really thought the most important thing was to win, because the, the, the history kind of demanded that uh, the Brazil were more bush than the average. Until the Neymar injury, the, the story about the Brazil team was all about why the players keep bursting into tears all the time, and this, so many of the players are weeping, and the emotional intensity was maybe a little bit off the charts. Does the injury change things now? Does it take pressure off the team? Do, do Brazil now have their excuse? Well, in a way, but um, about tears, there's, there's a very interesting thing. Uh, before, the 1970, before the 1970 World Cup final, uh, Pelé arrived at the Azteca Stadium, and he cried for one hour and still did what he did. For an hour before the game? Yeah. Why? Because Food poisoning? No, yeah, I mean, you cannot say that Pelé was a, was a child then. Uh, and if you take a look at the players who cry the most in Brazil, Thiago Silva, David Luiz, and Neymar, all of them were on the top of their stats uh, until that moment. And there was a very good report written by Global saying basically that. And um, I would say that the tears are very much South American, and people tend to be overreacting sometimes to some things, But um, uh, just like Thiago Silva did before the penalty shootout. But um, we tend to think of the tears and the excitement and sometimes uh, even going, going crazy as part of the game. Uh, just like uh, in Europe, many times you think of tackles as part of the game and tough injuries as part of the game. We like to think of tears and excitement as, as a big part of the game as well. You have to show it. It's not enough to feel it. You have to show it. And in South American football, particularly in Brazil, that has to be very evident for many people. Is Germany an opponent that Brazil fears this time? I mean... Uh they haven't really played each other much in the World Cup at all, and Brazil won the only time. Um, but I suppose Germany haven't lost their two best players going into this. Is this a case of this is not a good semi-final to have? Well, my impression is Germany are the favorites because they have the better team since the beginning of the competition. You think they, you really think they have a better team? Well, yeah. Uh, in the beginning of the tournament, my bet was the final Germany-Argentina, basically because they're good in all sectors and um, in all sections of the pitch. And uh, of course, Brazil could have made that through uh, the crowd enthusiasm and people uh, finding some kind of teamwork there that weren't really evident in the beginning. But um, I don't know. My, the, the two matches Germany played against uh, France, I was there to see it, and the, the other one against Algeria weren't particularly impressive. And Germans are also criticizing their team for not being Jogo Bonito as they expected before the World Cup. So, um, semi-finals and, and Brazil and Germany can definitely talk about these matches. Um, it's just one ball. Many times, if you if you find that one ball, that one moment, it could all be gone or it could all be won in those games. And I suppose tomorrow is going to be a very it's going to be like a chess match. It's not going to be exciting at all. Brazil and Germany know that uh, what it takes to win a match like that. So they're going to fight for one position, for one nice uh, shot to score, and for one dribble that can actually make the whole difference. Yeah, the fact that Neymar's not, not there means Brazil maybe have to change the entire game plan. So how do you expect, or rather, it's difficult to say what Scolari's going to do before he does it, but what do you think, what would you like to see 
them try against Germany. And, and I'm the 442 correspondent for Brazil, and then we had to make what, what are the best, player, best players in the team. So in my, in my rankings, Neymar first, Scolari second. Uh, and that's because he knows how to deal with these particular situations. I'm not, going, I'm not going to say that Brazil have a better chance than Germany at all, but Scolari has a load of experience with these kinds of matches. And my impression is that he's going to do what he does since 1991. He took a very, very small side called Criciúma to win the Brazilian Cup over a big, another big team, which is he flooded the midfield with defensive, mid, uh, with defensive players. Uh, he stopped creativity on the other side and he got one ball. And um, that's not Jogo Bonito. That's not interesting. That's uh, pretty much what it takes to win. And I think that's what he's going to do tomorrow. And what if he doesn't win? What do you think is going to happen then um, in terms of what the Brazilian media are going to have to say about this team? Because there will be this huge post-mortem and there will be... Is it the case that maybe having got to the semi-final will be the minimum honourable performance that, the, that everyone will say, well, you, you did okay while you were in it and you're not that good a team? Or who's going to get the blame? Well, there's, there's loads of things involved in that answer. And uh, as you mentioned before, probably Neymar being injured is one of the things that takes some pressure off uh, because people really expected the, the team to be, to be built around him and that's not going to be the case tomorrow. Uh, the second one is that Brazil, anything but winning is defeat. It always is. I mean, if you go to the final and you lose, too bad for you. You'd suck just as much as the one who came last. We're very demanding with that. And the only competition Brazilians really care about is the, is the World Cup. They don't care about Copa America. They don't care about qualifiers. They don't care about anything else. So you have to do well at the main event. And there's going to be that pressure you mentioned. If Brazil loses, if Brazil loses they're going to say, well, you, did, you, you failed in the World Cup, so you deserve some of the blame for that. But they, are, they will also have some, they will have some time to think that Neymar is 22, Thiago Silva is 26, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Davi Luiz is 27. They have a good World Cup ahead of them in Russia as well. So it's not the end of a generation, but it, it could be the beginning of a team that can do well in the next World Cup and that weren't really ready for this one. It will be the end also of the chance of Lionel Messi beating Brazil in the final in America. Maybe that will be a certain relief. Well, I think... Probably if Brazilians play the final against Argentina and lose, my impression is Brazil have a better chance of losing to, to Holland than to Argentina, to be very honest. But if... Thank you so much. Uh, but if Brazil lose to Argentina, I think the ones that are going to be more upset about that are going to be the Uruguayans because they're going to lose the only thing that is really left for them, which is the Maracanazo. And many Uruguayans have said, oh, if Brazil reached the final against Germany, I'm going for you because we have to keep the Maracanazo. So, of course, losing is never great. But um, I, I, I have the feeling that Brazilians would be upset, no doubt, but the Uruguayans would be even more. <laughs> great to see you, It's great stuff. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. Arkan, so what Mauricio is saying, just go back to the model of the ideal Brazilian footballer, he must be both a butch hard man, but also one who can weep openly for hours at the mere thought of playing a football match. Yeah. Incredible. And that's, what, uh, that's pretty much what they... What they demand here. Um, Pele, Pele cried for an hour before playing the World Cup. Was it the World Cup final in the 1970? Yeah, appar- apparently so. Um, you have to be... It doesn't really matter uh, about whether it's your masculine side, your feminine side, that you're in touch, as, touch as long as you are powerfully in touch with pretty much all your sides all the time. That's all that, that's all that Brazil wants from you. Just to be in touch with all of your sides. Uh, crying for an hour would probably take it out of you, though. When was the last time you cried for an hour, Ken? I don't believe 
<clears throat> I don't believe that I've ever cried for an air. No? Maybe when I was a baby. <laughs> but even then, I, even then I doubt it. I've, I've simply never been that upset about something. Mm. And, but maybe, um, you know, I don't know if I would have been cut out to play for Brazil either. It's interesting there that Maurizio seems to be sharing my idea that there's not as much pressure now in the Brazilian team. He mentioned a couple of things. One of them was that he feels that the age profile is good for the next tournament, which I was actually a little bit surprised about because this is the chance, really, isn't it, to just go and win this this one? Yeah, yeah, that's total. That's uh, that's total loser talk. Uh, I I thought. I mean, I thought. I mean, he also said, um, you know, we don't have any time for losers. If you lose, you if you lose the final, you suck just as much as if you went out in the group stage. So maybe that's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I suppose they all have had a chance to think about it and accustom themselves to this idea of failure. The thing is, though, this stadium tonight is like a um, <clears throat> has become this cauldron of great things happening in Brazilian football. Um, it's where Atlético Mineiro won the Copa Libertadores recently against the odds uh, in extraordinary scenes. I mean. In the stadium, sixty odd thousand, but apparently outside the stadium, hundreds of thousands more, hundreds of thousands of more people coming to the stadium without tickets to stand stand outside and shout out "I believe" and uh, drink a lot of alcohol and scream scream for their team at that Comunero, who essentially came back to win the Copa Libertadores on penalties in a really dramatic game. This is the kind of thing that they. Every, all the Brazilian players will be well aware of and hoping this sort of thing yeah, happens again, you know, and certainly all the fans here in Belo Horizonte. So, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a massive uh, occasion. It's going to be a big test for Germany. We'll see whether, you know, whether they're man enough to handle it. You made it, I'll, I'll move on to Germany in a second, but you made a comparison there between this Brazil team and Holland four years ago in the abandonment of the ideals of the football um, culture that they, that they generally have grown up with. But, can I put it to you that that Dutch team was a lot filthier than this Brazilian team? I know Brazil are fouling a lot and they brought a certain amount on themselves, maybe against Colombia, but I don't think many of their fouls are designed to really hurt the opposition. Whereas Holland last time were an absolute disgrace. I mean, we all remember De Jong's kick in, in, in the final, but even Van Bommel in virtually every game, was he mastered the art of looking one way and sending, giving the referee the eyes, the ref would look one way as Van Bommel crushed the kneecap of uh, an unsuspecting opponent. I, I just thought that Holland were actually slightly filthier and more likely to injure players in this Brazilian team. I don't know if you agree. They were. They, they were, I think so. I mean, Van Bommel in the semi-final, there was one tackle. I'm trying to remember the Uruguayan player who was on. I think I know the one you're was, talking about. That. Well, I think it was a kneecap one, was it? Was it yeah, it was yeah. real. It, it was like, it may, was it Fortland maybe? It really seemed like he wanted to, you know, I don't want him beaten. I want him out of commission. That was real, the Cobra Kai approach to the World Cup <laughs> semi-final. I mean, I remember it drove Brazil so mad that Felipe Melo got sent off in the quarterfinal between Brazil and Holland. Now, he was a bit of a lunatic himself. Um, but yeah, I think I think Holland maybe actually were a little bit. I mean, with those two players that you mentioned in particular, Van Bommel and De Jong, I don't really see that in Brazil. It's more sort of... Um, a collective fouling approach. enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. Not that you know that really from listening to the German manager, Joachim Löw, who's decided to play some heavily signposted mind games Ahead of this match, what's he been saying? Um, well, 
Joachim Love comes out with what I've got to say are the most heavily telegraphed I'm trying to influence the agenda of the match here. I'm going to say a couple of things which I think might influence the mood of the match. The most heavily telegraphed example of this I can remember since Steve Staunton um, seven years ago walked into that famous news conference and announced that a high-up German delegation had slagged off Krog Park, the Irish, and everything else about Dublin, and where are we going to take a line there? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually, I thought to myself of this thing last night, and I thought, yeah, I remember, I remember Sam did that. And then I thought, you know, was was that really as as crazy as I as I think I remember <laughs> that uh, that whole thing with with Staunton. Uh, can I just read this out to you? Please. Yeah, absolutely. Steve Staunton has used alleged comments by German football officials to try and fire up his players ahead of Saturday's Euro 2008 qualifier. The Republic of Ireland boss came to a very high up delegation, derided his team, blah, blah, blah. However, it has been revealed that the delegation was three little-known German Football Federation officials. Um, uh, we will use it to motivate the players, says Stunton. The German officials at the centre of the controversy with DFB head of ticketing Katja Sichtig, head of events Peter Radzeville, and security chief Martin Spitzel. Um, so Stunton basically said they weren't very complimentary about Crow Park, the, the pitch, the pitch being too far away and the fact there wasn't a great atmosphere. And someone said, um, sorry, but like who? <laughs> like, who's this delegation? Stunton said... I'm not going to name names, but very high up. <laughs> this was, <laughs> it didn't really work. I mean, if you remember the actual match itself, I suppose we got a nil-nil result, which seems quite good from the perspective of seven years later. Hey, yeah, we got a nil-nil and a one-nil away. Staunton it was the German killer in many ways. Didn't kill anyone. Well, he, didn't, he certainly didn't kill any Germans and <laughs> he, he he didn't deny them most of the points they were looking for. Although four, although four out of six uh, is not a, the kind of return I'd say that they'd be happy to get in the group, uh, in the upcoming qualification group, because of course we have to play them again. Anyway, your point is that Yogi Love is being as transparent in his mind games here. Well, it was just, I just thought it was a bit too much. Um, talking about how brutal and cruel the fellows were from, from Brazil and how... This can't be allowed to happen. But he was just using this word brutal over and over again. You know, you're just kind of like, brutal. Is that really, you know, is that not overstating it maybe a little bit? Uh, going on about how the Mexican referee, Mr. Rodriguez, would have to uh, would have to make sure he really was uh, on top of his game because we've seen, the, we've seen what the Brazilians are going to try to do. I thought, is this not supposed to usually be a little, a little bit more kind of understated than that he's pretty much got come out and accused the ref or accused brazil of in advance of trying to kick his team off the park i mean he's he's urging the referee to put a to have a really strict display but it's there every there's every single chance that his own team could be the victim of that am i missing something with germany here there seems to be an assumption that they're they've gone kind of regressed as the tournament has gone on and relied on maybe 
a more traditional idea of what German teams do in terms of being functional as opposed to being in any way spectacular. Brazil looked to me to be a team there for the taking if Germany would like to rediscover some of their, uh, I don't know, some of their flamboyance. We talked about Belgium a couple of days ago, Ken, and how they put all this money and they trumpeted this blueprint for the future of football in their country that they had. And ultimately that was abandoned in the pressure of a World Cup situation. It seems like Germany maybe are falling into a similar trap and the best way to win this match is to get out of that trap and attack, attack, attack. I'd like to see them try. Um, I, I'd like to see Germany go and attack in this stadium against Brazil in Belo Horizonte. Why not? It's a game of football. Why not? It's a game of football. What difference does it matter that Brazil have the emotion? In fact, that's a, maybe even more of a reason for Germany to take the game by the scruff of the neck and put pressure on Brazil with their fans... Um, Maybe get them edgy and get the fans edgy. I would no. be... If Germany can do that, I'm going to be really impressed. Um, and, and they may well. I mean, they're a team that um, that does take different approaches to different matches, depending on the opposition. Uh, I mean, you could see that against Algeria and the USA, they, they really tried to... They played a really high line. They played in the opponent's half. Against Portugal, they had they, they were playing a lot of diagonal balls over the fullbacks, you know, getting the ball in the box a lot and scoring a lot of goals. Not to be that much. And against France, then they played um, defensive. I mean, in their own half, um, let France have the ball quite a lot and and uh, played on the counter attack. So they're a team that has got different ways of playing. I mean, they've shown that maybe more so than any other team left in this tournament, with possible exception of Holland. Um, whether that, whether their playbook includes the go-to stadium filled with um, sixty thousand uh, fanatical Brazilian fans in a World Cup semi-final in Belo Horizonte and start smacking Brazil around, <laughs> yeah, in in, okay. the, in the attacking football sense, oh, I don't know if I don't know if if Yogi Love's playbook has that particular play. Speaking of, does. speaking of playbooks, Jim and Cork has uh, sent us a tweet here at Second Captains. Can you ask Ken, does he believe that every coach copies the style of the winner of the World Cup, tiki-taka, etc.? Um, so will this set a trend if Brazil muscle their way to victory, I guess, is the question. No, I mean, who who, who copied Marcelo Lippi in 2006? Nobody. Who copied Big Phil in 2002? I didn't see too many teams playing with three at the back over the over the succeeding years. Uh, three at the back and three, you know, world class uh, forwards and, and you know a couple of kickers in midfield. I didn't see that formation taking off. Maybe if, if more if more teams had had Ronaldo, Rivaldo, and uh, Ronaldinho, you might have seen that adoption, the, the adoption of that formation a little bit more. Uh, I mean, I don't think you can say it's just the winners of the World Cup. In the case of possession football, I mean, it's it's with Barcelona. Barcelona have been by far the dominant club team for for years, or they were, and uh, I think that's probably the. I mean, it's them. Spain adopted their style. I mean, Spain has a lot a lot of the same players. I'm not sure necessarily, and um, Spain themselves were that uh, influential, but Barcelona certainly were. And just finally, Dave on Twitter, does Ken want to see Brazil-Argentina final just to see how scared Brazilian fans get? Who doesn't want to see a Brazil-Argentina final? Exactly, I think we leave at, it at that. At this stage, I mean, I think, I think it would be big. You know, 
which is not to say, I mean, if Germany comes through this match tonight, Germany will deserve to play in the final. But I guess everybody wants to see that match. Maybe that's the kind of the, <laughs> maybe that's the only doom big enough that could match the sort of the excitement of, of Brazil for the, for the World Cup. Mm, all right, well, listen. Actually, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it, Ken. Well, listen, we'll leave it at that. Uh, enjoy the game. I should actually, normally I thank Ken at this stage, and I will thank Ken, but I'd like you, Murph, to wish Ken well and ask him to get well soon. Ken, I, you know, I just feel for you, big guy. Just try and find some antibiotics. We love you. Mind yourself. And thank you. Thanks very much, Kieran. And thank you too, Ron. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for your kind words. Thanks, Ron. And thanks for listening. Enjoy the semi-final. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Oh, Pepe's such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. The <laughs> <laughs> was fucking dreadful. Sorry, yeah. we're not we're out of here. Oh, we're not we? We are. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously, he <laughs> didn't exactly do it. All right. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.